need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Welcome at the China Business Cast. This is your host, Simon Derat. I want to share my experiences with the cross-border summit in Guangzhou, organized by Michael Michelini and his team. And it was two days full of a lot of speakers from all over the world who came to share their story, mainly related to Amazon, but not particular. Can also be used for many other areas if you're active. It is a China business cast, so definitely we will touch on upon China, obviously, but we will also go much more on Amazon itself. So today the special is an Amazon special with really high class Amazon sellers who not only focus on selling, but also are helping and using their skills to help other people on their Amazon journey. Hope you enjoy. First, we have Paulina Mazon, then we have Danny McMillan, and then Will Churnland. If you would like their stories and you want to reach out to them, put their contact details in the show notes. So feel free to reach out to them. Enjoy the show and um, talk to you next time. All right. So we are here at the Cross Border Summit with Paulina Masson. She uh, had her talk yesterday about pricing strategy, particularly for Amazon. But I think her knowledge goes much further than just Amazon. Thank you uh, for, for joining uh, this uh, podcast. Hey, thanks for having me here. So I saw you taking a lot of videos during the event. So uh, what can, what's the purpose behind it? Because you're not part of the organization, but you're basically, I see you walking around with the camera all the time. Yes, I'm exactly. I'm taking a lot of videos. So it's my new thing that I'm trying in my business. Uh, two months ago, I started filming a lot of videos, just experimenting with content. I feel like my company has gone over the hump of the challenging part of getting the initial growth and now it's a little bit got a steam of its own like it's growing on its own a little bit so i'm doing experimental things with marketing at this point just because it already has the proper traffic sources set up the affiliates and the organic traffic and all these other things so now i'm at the experimental stage and that's where the video content comes in i know it's a long-term thing but i'll see how that works out all right, so so this is uh, just before we go deeper into into uh, your, your talk yesterday. So what is it exactly that you're doing? Because you're saying you're, you just hit a bump or you're trying to overcome that. So where are you now and what is it exactly that you're doing? Exactly, my business is actually shopkeeper.com, which is a profit dashboard for Amazon sellers. How that came about is because I am an Amazon seller. And uh, when I became one in 2014, when the gold rush started, uh, when many of us jumped on the train, actually I was one of them. Uh, so I created this little software for myself because I'm a software developer by background to just calculate the fees, the 72 different fees that you have to pull manually by many, many different reports from Amazon. You know, I've created a software that pulls it automatically and adds up to make it show your profit figure. And that's eventually became a commercial product. So we rebuilt it from scratch, hired a team. You know, at the point when my brother and my friends started asking for it, that's when I realized that it could be a commercial product. And at the moment, I am more of my time is devoted to software rather than selling on Amazon, but I'm still doing both. Cool. So, so your talk was more about pricing strategy. What, what do you want the audience to, to take away from, from what you discuss? 
pricing strategies are like my very favorite topic and I keep researching a lot on that and probably what everyone likes is the pricing psychology bits. I guess I could give you a few quick tips if you like. Um, so uh, you know the thing about 99 in the end. So everyone has this 99, 99, 99 in all the retail stores. And people are, you know, so used to seeing that. And because we're so used to actually what happened to us is psychologically, we became conditioned to believe that 99 ending implies some kind of bargain, right? It's a bargain of some kind. Unfortunately, a bargain is very often associated with the lower quality item. So if it's a bargain, it's cheaper, it's probably lower quality. And that's where you can monetize on as, an, as a seller. As an Amazon seller, I'm using that. I have a few items that are sort of, you know, in the tight price range in terms of competition, but I want to position them as if they're better than the others in terms of luxury. So all I do is I don't use the 99 ending, I use 00. And then it gets this feeling, you know, psychologically, you look at it when you're skimming it quickly and you think, oh, something's different about it. Hmm. Well, something is not a bargain, so it's not the low quality, right? So you get this little bit of feeling. And there's this extra tip I could give you about the nines, because we believe the nine is such a good bargain, you could use the nines instead of other digits in your prices. So instead of 34, use 39. Also, you could use five, seven, and nine. So five, seven, and nine are the most common endings that people use when they promote. Mm. Like Walmart's best buys, they use 995, 997. So if you're using fives, sevens, or nines in your prices, that is very, very good, good idea. It's going to get you more clicks into your listing and more eyes. And when you're skimming the prices, those will appear as a fair, better deal. So this is, this is global, right? This perception. Oh, yeah, definitely. It works for any business, not specifically e-commerce. Just for your own service prices, when you're putting up on uh, just, you know, your service provider prices, this works as well, you know, because the nines are everywhere we see and we became to believe it. Oh, it's a good price. So now use a nine and you'll have a good price. Yeah. So during uh, the only thing that I put, I'm putting you on the spot because you just mentioned two things. One is you want to from 99 bring it to zero zero, which is uh, to make it a more luxury product. But in zero zero, there's no five, seven or nine. Right. So uh, do you're saying and it's, the, that part is a little conflicting, I would say, or maybe I misunderstand. You mean point. when I use zero zero, there is no bargain anymore. That's right. Because there are two ways you could position your product, either a luxury item or a bargain item. You have to already know what type of buyer you're targeting. Hmm. If this is the buyer who likes to hunt for deals, those scrooges, so to say, yeah. you know, if they like to hunt for deals, you will want to use all the nines, fives, and sevens as you can. You know, best possible 1999. If you can't, it's 1799. If you can't, it's 1599. Or use it like that, you know. And if you are targeting the luxury ones, don't use the five, seven, and nine. So then round the zero, zero. And then so you could do 18 equal, you know, and that will be very unusual. So use those other numbers to imply that it's, it's more luxury, more different. Uh, but in general, I still prefer to use five, sevens, and nines always, just because the price ranges that I compete with are so tight. Like I don't have a lot yeah. to deal with. I cannot jump $5 up or $5 down. So I just switch the ending to imply that there is a luxury in it. So that's that's where the conflict comes in, you know, because it depends on competition that you have around you. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, actually most of the purchases done online are based on promotions. So that's 
or by nature a bargain. Right. That's, that's right. <laughs> every and every price always has the regular price and the sales price. If you don't see that, you feel like, oh, you know, like you feel like, oh, it's not a deal, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, so regarding uh, China, because it's a China business cast. Um, so, wh- wh- how do you see the role of China and Chinese uh, suppliers on that on on the, the, this uh, Amazon journey? You mean how are they evolving these days, right? Yeah, how are they evolving, and what's your experience with it? The pros and cons. Uh-huh. I think they are becoming more informed on in terms of how to sell on Amazon and the channels because in China Amazon is not known so well, right? And in general, it's harder to understand something that you have no experience with. So there's other e-commerce marketplaces here, um, but Chinese sellers are becoming more and more. I mean, manufacturers becoming more and more aware of the system and the process and what it takes to sell on Amazon. So. On, on the other side of the world, people are getting a little bit worried and scared and Amazon really tries to promote it as much as they can. You know, they are wanting to eliminate the third party so that the price is as small as possible. You know, Amazon offers the lowest prices and the biggest selection. So their goal is to attract Chinese sellers to sell directly on Amazon and eliminate the third parties. So yes, these days is the gold rush, which started 2014 and now it's getting already harder. They took away the easy reviews and all the easy options are taking away. So it's getting harder and harder and harder. And I think we still have a, another five years of good times. So you can still make a lot of money. But at some point, there will be a point where... There will be some kind of supply chain, I think, when Amazon themselves will have a direct line, you know, from the manufacturers, you know, to uh, to United States, and you know, maybe this opportunity eventually will, you know, escape us. But I'm just talking about the highest volume products right now. There is always opportunity in the world to make business, right? So if you have a brand and you develop the brand, and nobody else can sell it, right, for you, so you will still make business, but it's just, I'm saying the easy opportunity that we all snapped and we made a lot of money, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's not so easily achievable these days anymore. The bigger ones getting bigger and smaller ones getting smaller. That's normally uh, what, what's happening, unfortunately. Yeah. And for for uh, do you recommend also like for Chinese manufacturers, which I think are struggling a lot to maintain their margins, the, to get out, cut out the middleman is also an opportunity for them to, to uh, um, at least have a more sustainable uh, business. Do you, you mentioned that it's a threat a little bit for Western sellers to, to have the stronger competition and Amazon is also quite cooperating in this kind of model because they have a gain to get more. Um, but do you think it's, Amazon is the right channel for Chinese brands to, as well to, to uh, expand? If I would be a Chinese manufacturer, I don't know, I think that would be sort of a distraction because when you are a seller, it's a full-time job to do the selling. I mean, you have to think about design of the product, you have to think about shipping, about all of these other components that manufacturer normally is not involved in, right? And I don't know, I think if you're a manufacturer, I believe in focus on what you do best and leave the rest for the others. Uh, I'm not just saying that so don't fight with us. Sure, you could sell on Amazon, but that means you'll have to create the whole other department with full-time people who are forced thinking about the branding, the logo, you can't just copy. You know, in the United States, the copying the trademarks and patents have a lot of things that you have to research all of that. So there will be a full-time person who's doing the branding for you, you know, at your company, who knows English, who figures out the Amazon system and all of these things. So it's, it's like the whole new 
opportunity and you'll have to invest in it, right? So I, I don't know if any manufacturer would want to do it because that becomes then the horizontal approach to the business rather than the more vertical focusing on the manufacturing. And I don't know if that's the best way to approach any business. It's always very nice when you fo focus just vertically and you go really deep on one thing and you go become the best in the world at it. And then you get the most customers. You know, you, you could focus on 10 different things, like 10, uh, like one step at a time. But if you do the 10 steps on one thing, look how far more advanced you will be than all these other guys that do the vertical, uh, the horizontal approach. I'm just saying that sure they can do it, but that's probably not in the best interest to make a lot of money. Yeah. So it's really the partnership model. And uh, for that, you you have trust, you need trust, and that, that to overcome that would be probably a bigger challenge than trying to do it yourself. Uh, uh, I'd say so, yeah. yeah. All right, good. So yeah, um, yeah let's, let's wrap this up. You, uh, where can people follow you? Because I don't know, you're quite active on social media. And yeah, <laughs> I post a lot on LinkedIn these days. Uh, so you can find me there uh, on LinkedIn, Paulina Masson, Mason with double S. And if you have any inquiries for business or just check out shopkeeper.com or connect with me on LinkedIn and we can chat. Cool. Thanks a lot for your contribution and uh, enjoy the rest of the event. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. <laughs> you too. So I'm here with uh, Will, Will uh, Churland. Uh, he's uh, um, actually an Amazon sales consultant and uh, he just had his presentation this morning. And actually, it was uh, a little different than what most uh, would do, where everyone's focusing on, on the data. Uh, actually, uh, you look much more in the, in the human side and actually make use of that, the results of the questions you pass to humans and turn it into a logic. At least that will be my summary of your uh, speech. So I really like the, the, actually the human factor that comes into play. But maybe you can do a, li a little introduction and also maybe share a little bit about what, what would be your main message that you want people to walk away with uh, from your talk. Yeah, so um, my name is Will Turnland. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I run Goat Consulting. We help brands and manufacturers sell more on Amazon and sell better and more efficiently on Amazon. And yeah, my talk today was a lot more about optimizing for the human side of things instead of the computer side of things. And what I mean by that is a lot of um, people at this conference were talking about keyword research and how to um, rank within the algorithm. And they're really trying to think of how to optimize for the computer and the algorithm, where my whole talk was how to optimize for the kind of emotional side of things, the human side of things, and tap into the psychology of what is the buyer actually thinking before they purchase these products, what fears do they have before purchasing these products, and um, how do we answer these fears ahead of time so we can have as high of conversion rate as possible on the Amazon.com marketplace. So do you think this, 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 a brand should be selling on Amazon at all? Um, yeah, unless you're kind of a very bizarre brand where you have a very unique community that is a big part of your brand or say you have a like luxury brand like your Gucci or something, there, there's a few kind of rare examples I know of companies that might not work as well on Amazon or might not even just need Amazon. But um, for the most part, the other 99% of companies out there in the world really should have some sort of Amazon strategy so actually, uh, you're open today actually with the M-Turk, with the Mechanical Turk. For me, it was a new term, but I'm also a newbie on the Amazon space. So um, maybe you can, in the audience also, a very small percentage was actually 
raising their hands when they knew about it. So I guess a lot of people don't know. Uh, and it's quite a powerful tool. So can you explain a little bit more about what it is? Yeah, so basically Mechanical Turk is a, it seems kind of like a software and it's a kind of computer thing, but it's actually a bunch of um, humans that are working for Amazon in the background and just doing some very small tasks. So um, they, they, they can basically do anything from answering simple questions and filling out forms to letting you know like what picture you like the most. And so the way we use it at my consulting firm is that we ask the customer a bunch of different questions from like simple demographic questions like what's your age, where are you from, how often do you buy on Amazon, are you a Prime member? And then as much, uh, we get as complicated as us asking really specific questions questions about, do you like this photo or that photo? What price point would you pay for this product? What would you search to find this product? What would you call this product? Which are actually two different questions. And um, really try to figure out what questions um, customers may have going into the, the purchasing of the product on Amazon. So we have an idea of what customers um, want to know about the product. So we're not just stuffing it with a bunch of um, relevant keywords that we think are going to rank well, but the keywords are actually structured in a way that it answers as many questions for the customer as possible. Yeah, so basically you're profiling your customer. Yep. Yeah, we're just getting as many surveys out there as possible and asking them as many questions that we think is relevant as possible. Sure, some of the answers may not be as relevant as other, but if we do a survey of, say, 500 to 1,000 different people and spend somewhere between a 500 to $1,000 on these surveys, we really can get a lot of insights ahead of time. So unfortunately, with companies we work with who have already on Amazon, we have to do the surveys to retroactively figure out um, what they're up to and what their customers think. And luckily, with a lot of our clients, have never sold on Amazon in the past. And so we can um, answer all these questions before they become a problem and the conversion rate later on in their uh, business's life cycle. So, so when you mentioned this, and I saw the list of questions, which are very personal, uh, most of them, like, do you own a house? And well, almost what are you spending? And how many bathrooms you have? It's like, whoa, this goes uh, uh, very, very deep. How, how does it go regarding to privacy of personal information? Uh, how, do people comply with this? Or is it, how does it work? Yeah, we don't ask for name or email address or address or anything like that. And so it's, and we, we get the data in the form of just a spreadsheet sheet at the end where each column is a different question and then we get like a random serialized number for the actual person who filled up the survey to kind of show that they're separate so once we get all the data it's basically all anonymized and so I think for the most part a lot of the questions we're asking even though they might some people may see it as kind of an invasion of privacy since we don't actually ask anything personal about them um for the most part, it's just anonymized data for us just to figure out kind of what kind of people are taking these surveys, um, how is it relevant to the questions we're asking, and how can we kind of build out a customer avatar that much better. Cool. So, so, so then, of course, they aim to get a product successful. Um, and once it gets successful, other people also jump on the train, basically. So well, how would you consider, when would you consider a product successful? And, 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 and wh what do you need to be wary of? Uh, from what stage do you need to look out for maybe others who want to replicate that? So I think of a successful product slightly differently. I think of it more as like a dollar per hour output. And so if you have a product that's doing $100,000 a month in sales, but you're working 100 hours a week, 
you're not really making that much money. But if you have something that's doing $10,000 a month in sales, but you're working two hours a week, you actually have a pretty sweet little sustainable business there that is a little bit um, cheaper. So I always think of it as dollar per hour output where some people love, since there's not that much to actually do on the Amazon platform and it's a lot of hurry up and wait, a lot of people like to um, sit there and almost over-optimize. They're not measuring each thing they're doing. They're not giving it a certain amount of time to um, like a full two weeks to actually get real data. They're just tweaking little things here and tweaking little things there. And so I always tell people you should really be testing, not tweaking, and really kind of actually figuring out what variable you're changing, why you're changing it, and how it's going to affect the customer's journey. Well, when, you, when you mentioned this about the dollar per hour, I put I, the story you mentioned was quite cool. Where you to, uh, when you went with your brother and you read the four hour work week and you're like, oh, this is it. And then you end up with a 60 hour work week and they're like, hmm, this is not for me. I would like to go back to a 40 hour uh, work week. So where are you now? What, uh, what kind of hours are you? I would say I'm somewhere between like of actual real work that must be done or else the business is going to burn to the ground. Um, probably two to four hours a week. And then I probably put in an extra 16 or so hours of me hanging out at the office, brainstorming ideas. And then like every entrepreneur, I can't turn my brain off. And so then at night I'm thinking about it. And so I spend a lot of time thinking, a lot of time strategizing my own head. But um, everyone in my office is awesome. I work with a ton of my best friends. And so um, it makes it really easy to go to work every day, even if I don't have like specific things I need to work on. It's just a good thing to, as a boss just to be there build up morale, learn more about what people's problems are, how can I solve them, and how can I make my employees' life easier, which is then going to make all my clients' lives easier. Yeah. So in that sense, you're, you're kind of living the dream, and it's not a work-life balance because there is no, because it's just a mixture of both. You're doing work and life at the same time. Yeah, we um, tend to give ourselves pretty uh, liberal um, timelines. And so rarely ever is anybody at our office ever like stressed out because something's due Monday and they're working all through the weekend. It's um, It tends to be kind of a laid back atmosphere. Um, a lot of people think that if you just work harder, somehow your sales are going to go up, but it tends to be that that's not necessarily the case. And if you work 80 hours instead of 40 hours on your two listings you have, sales will not double, I promise. And so, um, yeah, we try to kind of explain that to our clients too, that, hey, just because we're not taking a percentage of sales, just because we don't have skin in the game, doesn't mean we don't care about it. We just don't think that um, if your sales double or triple, that our... Um, our payment should be um, grow proportionately because we really don't have that much control over the Amazon algorithm. We can do our best, but in the end of the day, we're honest with the clients. We're we're hoping for luck just as much as they are. So uh, re regarding your um, uh, business, uh, you're based in the U.S. So uh, what's your? We're now in Guangzhou in China. So uh, uh, you, have you been here before? What's your relationship with China itself? Yeah, I actually came to Guangzhou for the first time in 2014 to go to the Canton Fair. And um, not knowing any better, I uh, went to all three phases. <laughs> and so I was just exhausted when I got home. I went to all three phases, walked it for about three weeks, finally got home, and then realized I had a bag full of business cards, and then I had to go contact all these suppliers. So right when I got home, I thought I was finally going to get a little bit of a rest. And then it's actually that's when the real work starts, because you can't do too much um, negotiation. 
negotiating or too much of um, kind of looking up research since the internet's so protected here and so slow here. You can't really do any actual work. And so you try to meet as many people, get as many catalogs as possible, and then have to do the real work once you get back home with like, the real internet. I got this question from a few Amazon sellers who went to visit the uh, Canton Fair. Uh, you've done it yourself, so what will be your, your recommendation to them to prepare themselves and also to get more out of the event itself? Yeah, I would break it into days where you're actually just going straight to suppliers for products that you know you want ahead of time and like really deep diving with the suppliers, um, figuring out what their quality is like, where's their um, warehouse, where's their factory, maybe going out and doing a tour of their factory and spending kind of half the time really deep diving on the specific SKUs you're interested. And then I'd spend the other half of the time uh, basically just wandering around looking for new stuff and being interested. The very first time, quick story, the very first time I was here, I saw people with selfie sticks for the very first time and I saw people on hoverboards for the very first time when I was here. And I honestly, unfortunately, was not thinking and thought this is just some <laughs> weird Chinese thing. And I was like, no one is ever going to carry around a stick to take selfies. This is so silly. Well, fast forward a year and a half to the top two like selling products on all of Amazon. And I could have been there. I was there from the beginning. I noticed their products. I noticed their products that I'd never seen before. And I was too arrogant to actually take a chance on it because I thought this will never work. And Look, you can continue. Everyone knows who's listening to this how wrong I actually was. Well, actually, I think the hoverboards in the end backfired because of the regulations. So, in that sense, sales-wise, it went well, but maybe uh, the, uh, the regulation part that backfired. But so, so how do you think uh, Amazon? How dependent is Amazon from China, or vice versa? I'm, I'm hearing more and more people trying to source from India and Vietnam and such. Um, it's still really important. It's obviously, majority of the stuff still comes from China. It's um, more and more people are getting apprehensive about like their IP and such, though, too, where they might be testing out things in China, but then it gets to a certain point and they get to a certain scale where they um, actually want to be able to protect themselves a little bit more, know the supplier a little bit more, and not just contacting random people on Alibaba and getting samples. They actually want to build some sort of relationship so it's not um, nearly as scary for them because they don't think the manufacturer is going to cut them out of the loop and just sell on Amazon themselves. Cool, cool. Yeah, I would like to say, keep doing what you're doing. So, so if other people would uh, follow, want to follow you, uh, where can they go? Yeah, go on uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, anything, Twitter. Um, I W T J E R N is my name on most um, different social medias. I got a pretty goofy last name, so it's pretty easy to find me. And uh, if you have any, if you want to talk about consulting or anything like that, email me at will at goat g o a t consulting dot com. I always think about go the greatest of all time. That whole discussion with any sports related is that is that one of the reasons you came up with the name? Or it actually was just by random choice. We signed our first few clients before we even had a website, and so um, we were looking at a bunch of different like one um, one syllable nouns to name our consulting thing. So we tried snake consulting, shark consulting. Everything was taken. The only one that wasn't taken was goat consulting. And yeah, with greatest of all time, with goat videos, you're kind of becoming like cat videos online. It's becoming more and more popular of an, um, of an animal for people to search online. And it uh, people remember it more times than now. And people are like, oh yeah, goat consulting. I've heard of you guys. Even if they're totally not, it, it sounds familiar and it sounds kind of comforting to people when it's something simple and easy like that. And so we just got lucky and the domain was available. So we bought it for like $7.99 or whatever it was. Cool. Good for you. Good for you. Well, enjoy uh, the rest of the summer and uh, thanks a lot for your time. 
Yeah, thank you. All right, so for the last interview of the day of the summit, we have Danny McMillan from uh, UK. He's running uh, Data Braille and uh, is very active within the uh, Amazon community with his own podcast with uh, FBA speakers to basically recruit people to speak about FBA. Uh, I think he came from the music industry and then went into the FBA. So maybe, uh, Danny, you can do a brief intro if people don't know you, which is really rare in this industry, I would say. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, so quick background on me. I was originally from the music industry, then went online in 2008, uh, went into the technology se uh, sector startup in the UK. And, um, yeah, we had a startup there. And then I, that's where I kind of developed into doing commerce. I found commerce in, in terms of ticketing. And then I wanted to reverse engineer uh, marketplaces. So I started with eBay and realized it wasn't for me. And then on the same forum, I found Amazon FBA on the 31st of uh, March, 2015. So yeah, I sell on Amazon. I've got the Seller Sessions podcast, which we focus on uh, more advanced sellers. And also got Databrill with my partner, Ellis, a co-founder of that. So what that is, it's a technology company that looks after Amazon PPC for six, seven, eight-figure sellers. And I also have Sellapol, which is a, an awards each year, like an annual awards for uh, brand owners and Amazon sellers, uh, where people can vote for nine categories, including like podcast and YouTube channels. But we're exempt for that because I wanted to build something for the community, by the community, if you like. And we wanted to take away any of the um, blur in the lines. We're not going to hand ourselves awards and stuff. So we wanted to be uh, independent and have a platform now so that people have a safe haven to go to so they can look at the top 10 lists in nine different categories. You know, the best podcasts to listen to or the best service providers to use, etc. cetera. Yeah. And that's it really. All right. So, so um, yeah, you did, um, when you talk about this, you, know, you work mostly with six, seven, uh, eight uh, figure sellers. Yes. Um, I think well, the listeners that we have is uh, more, uh, um, maybe some beginners, but also yeah. some, uh, more advanced. So, what would be your like the the tip for for a beginner, and what would be a tip for your for a six figure to go to seven figure seller? Um, I would say, in terms of for beginners, is it's not a quick fix. You know, like a few years ago, the gold rush. You need money to operate into this business. So, never never go in and try and do something with your life savings and only have one shot at it. You know. Uh, people talk about starting a business with 500 pounds and then turn it into 10 million. What they do is they skip all the steps of lever leveraging debt and everything in between and all the loans and all the knowledge you need to do to get to those millions. Yeah. So I would always say to people, um, only invest what you can afford. And to start in this world now, you probably need 10 or 15 grand to get going because you've got to allow for some mistakes in there as well, you know, and some education. All right, so that's for starter and for, for a more advanced one? For a more advanced one, it's all down to cash flow and the amount of SKUs. Like, I get to see a huge amount of data across. I've seen hundreds of accounts, well, not just through the agency on the PPC side, but from consultancy and stuff. The common factor that, that I've seen and my partner's seen with stuff is that there isn't, you know, like you've got the 80-20 rule, which yeah. quite often it's actually smaller than that. So you might find is that people have one or two products that knock it out of the park and the, and the rest are also rents. So if that one product got suspended, they can go from doing, you know, a hundred grand a month to 10 grand a month. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, 
there is an element of luck and timing involved because we've seen people where they've been very successful, become a seven-figure seller, selling in one category, and as soon as they try anything else, none of it works. So even though they're, they're trying to replicate the same level of success. So as my, my partner is a data scientist and an algorithm expert, and he's saying, like, when you look at the numbers, there's an element of luck as well. But I think you need luck in business uh, generally. Um, but I definitely say, you know, think about what you're doing as a seven-figure or six-figure seller and focus on building a brand and a proper business that little hacks and stuff will only get you so far. If you want to be around for a long time, you need to be able to build and provide quality products, which leads into this whole thing about reviews and stuff. If you do amazing products, people will leave reviews. If you do crappy products, people will leave the wrong type of reviews. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's getting to. Uh, I think the timing, uh, or call it luck. Uh, you were you when you jumped on the train 2015 the gold rush 2014-15 is uh, gives you the reps to be where you are now yeah. and to be able to also uh, uh, maybe overcome some obstacles quicker because the network the experience it, uh, yeah. all, all that all you get that. the network effects of the whole thing like I I see it as a wave myself I didn't take advantage of the wave in the sense like I've ne- I don't treat stuff like a gold rush for me I'm in it long term everything I look at I do five to ten years it's like the podcast done 300 plus episodes you know people may not take as much notice like in the very beginning it's a hard graft you know it's like i always say to people about year three so like we're on year three with the podcast and things have really taken off like this year i mean even when we started it it was seller sessions was a a few webinars every few weeks that built a main list that turned into a youtube channel that went from a youtube channel to a blog and it wasn't until we added the podcast element, it grew 40% month on month and just took off like a rocket ship. But you have to find that touch point. But there is a lot of work and groundwork that you have to do yeah. involved, you know, leading up. So that groundwork means normally a planning and if you're in for the long run. So what's your, what's your ambition or what's your vision on the long run? I think that where we are with Amazon FBA, it's tiny. A commerce online is still tiny when you think about the wider world. So we're building the infrastructure. Like when we do seller sessions live in the UK, we're trying to set the bar like for great education in America, in uh, Asia. There are a lot of events that go on with big name speakers or very knowledgeable people. Whereas in the UK, people are being shortchanged on their education. They'll, they'll charge you £300 for a ticket and bring in one person. Like I'll charge you £300 for a ticket and bring in eight people and break even. Because for me, it's about building the culture and the infrastructure first, and then you can make money later. So I always look at stuff. It's like um, Cellapol. I won't make any money at that. I've got a sponsor that put money in that paid, helped pay for the platform and the marketing behind it. In year two, three, four, that could be a six, seven, eight figure business. Do you know what I mean? We don't know that yet, but everything I do is I, I'm not into gold rush. I'm not into quick cash. I'll leave money on the table. Because everything I look at, I have a long-term vision on. When with my business from Europe to China, China to Europe, I see online is always a percentage of the the small percentage actually of the total business. Yeah, yeah. the whole O to O concept, mm. the online to offline, offline to online. Mm. How do you see that being incorporated within uh, Amazon? I think uh, I think it's just always going to happen. It's more and more goes online. More and more stores offline will close. The convenience gap will start to close. We've seen it with smartphones, their, their daily habits, using Amazon as a daily habit. I think in in next five years or so, other people are going to get better at logistics, so you've got more opportunity 
to choose. Generations grow, right? So we've got the millennials that have come through. They don't know anything but the internet. And then the, uh, the, the 60s and the 50s and 70s generation will start to move on as evolution comes along. So I think what happens in next five to, year, five to 10 years, it's going to explode because culturally everything changes. Yeah. So when you touch about uh, the culture part and uh, China, China and Amazon, yeah. do you, how, do you, how do you think about is the relationship between Amazon and China? The relationship between Amazon and China is, a, is an interesting one. I think... I would say that Amazon courts China and, you know, they'll turn a blind eye to some of the activities on the platform because it's a huge market. You know, people come here like they're in, in the Western culture, everyone pisses and moans about, oh, you know, everything's built in China and taking away our jobs and blah. China gives you tremendous scout. You can't do a lot of these, uh, uh, like people doing iPhones, like, you know, like Apple and all these big companies. Where are you going to get the scalability other than places like uh, China? I know that Pakistan are entering the fray with uh, different, not necessarily electronics and stuff, but the, the scale is not there, is it? Like you can only do that level of scale here. And I think with Amazon, they're the everything store and they rely on 50% of their platform does actually come from third party sellers. And third-party sellers go to the factories in China. So at some point, why don't you cut out the third-party sellers, go direct to factory and provide an infrastructure there? And Amazon just becomes bigger and bigger, and they've got more opportunities to supply products without having to add the cash flow because they're relying on the supply chain to deliver on that. Yeah. So in the end, it's, uh, it's more an opportunity than a threat Yeah. if you optimize the supply chain. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in the Western world, it's a threat. They'll look, but it's the same thing with Brexit. You've got two different types of people out there. You've got like, you've got these people that like there is black hat activity goes yeah. on or people will moan about black hat activity because they're using it as an excuse because they're not focusing on their own business. Like they look at their own failings. It's like Brexit. You know, people want to blame Brexit for their own failings. You know, like as entrepreneurs, our job is to find the other way. Yeah. You know, like there, there's always going to be death. There's always going to be taxes. And you've always got to be part of evolution. Or if you don't, if you don't progress, you'll die. It's as simple as that. Well, the biggest limitation for any entrepreneur is yourself, I would yeah, say. Right? Yeah. So you can blame Brexit or you can blame China. In or the you end, can actually, blame yourself and you can drink a, a man up cup and get on with it and change your path. You know, yeah. if you're worried about your competitions too heavy and you don't have the money to fight, sell different products. Yeah. It's simple. Mm. You know, you can't keep going in, complaining, complaining, complaining. Nothing goes that does anything about it. And then do more complaining because complaining won't change it. Only you can change it. What we've got with Brexit is that it's going to affect people. We know that. But if you let it bother you, then all what's going to happen is that you're not focusing on how you change that. You know, it's like what we do as entrepreneurs, we solve problems. Yeah. That's a problem to solve. Yeah. So you work around the problem. Sometimes problems are fixed quickly and sometimes they're on, uh, done on long term. But I'm a big believer. I don't like that self-entitled kind of attitude, you know, what you get from entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship is not easy, you know, uh, and we have tough days and it's the strong that survive. Yeah. Yeah, it's a strong message. So the the message from your just to to wrap up is uh, you had a presentation. I went for me it was very in like details like yeah, and so I couldn't always follow you. But what would be like your main 
uh, the takeaway that people you want to uh, take home after your presentation? Well, the presentation was to be able to operate as swiftly and best as possible in Q4, especially coming up to uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And that there's the problems where, you know, like your images get suppressed. If they get suppressed, why? You've got to spot that early. And things like people changing your brand names, you drop in ranking, spotting that early. So what I was trying to do is like, if your listing gets attacked or your competitor rep uh, reports your images or you know, someone steals your images, you can report it. Like there was a series of, for better word, tips and hacks to make sure that you stay on track because you've got to take advantage of this period. And if it, if it takes you three weeks to work out that someone's changed a one word in your, you know, one letter in your, pardon me, in your brand name, then you lose three weeks worth of business because your rankings drop. You need to identify that stuff first. So what I was trying to do is give them like a Swiss army knife of identifying all of these problems super fast so that you stay in the game and you operate, you know, in what is the best season of the year on Amazon. Cool. I really love what you do and I see uh, the, the passion you have and actually not just for yourself, but also really the industry Thank to you. actually make the industry better with, uh, so please keep doing what you're doing Thank you. and wish you, uh, wish you all the best and uh, enjoy your stay in China. Thank you very much. Take care. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze, but don't worry. China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.